0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time yet again, broadcasting almost live from deep beneath an old Tower Records. It's Tavern Voices, the first and only podcast dedicated to unfiltered North Carolina news. I'm your host, Kevin King. And with me, as always, is our other host and talk radio dinosaur, Power Crawley. <laughs>
1: uh, you're very confident saying that we're the first for North Carolina news. I'm sure there's been some other North Carolina podcasts. Not unfiltered. Okay. Unfiltered. Okay. Yeah. know we do. We do use the, uh, I couldn't even do it. I was going to like come up with some funny Instagram filter. I don't even know what the Instagram filters are called anymore. I don't even use them. So Whatever venetian thank you thank you for doing that and not doing it at the same time (laughs) i know i couldn't think of one they all got those like weird names i couldn't think of any of them so you know
0: toaster there's one filter called toaster oh there you go or toast i'm sorry not toaster but toast toast and it is named after uh kevin rose's dog and kevin rose is a guy used to watch back on tech tv years ago um he's he's a been involved he helped i think he uh helped start um is it reddit maybe ah. it's one of those one of those uh like kind dig. of message dig yes yeah. he started dig that was what yeah. it was dig was like and,
1: dig was like this site that everyone thought was gonna be amazing and it's disappeared because <laughs> they did like they did like a really bad redesign they did something and it drove away everyone from the website and and so they like sold it for a bunch of money and then it and then it like collapsed
0: well that's what I was gonna say. He made a lot of money yeah. and sold it and then someone else no. ran it to the ground. Yeah. Um, but now he's like a venture capitalist out in yep. Silicon Valley. Yep. And um, and it was his dog, toast is where that filter came from for Instagram. So <clears throat> there's your useless fact of the day.
1: That is pretty useless. Now I want to go back and see what it looks like because I would I would have thought toast looked like toast. But now it's apparently looks like a dog. So now I need to go back and look at that one. All right, speaking of looking back. What
0: what what happened? I said it's neither. It's neither a toast nor a dog filter. I think it was named after his dog. It's named after his dog, but it's not a dog filter. Yeah,
1: yeah, but I'm saying it might look like a dog. Like through a dog's eyes or something. Like oh. why why else would they name well. it after a dog if we didn't have like some sort of dog feature? I have no idea. But I completely interrupted your flow. So I know I had a great transition where I was going to say, speaking of looking back at things, uh, this week is, for those who don't know, in North Carolina, Sunshine Week, which is when news agencies try and do their best to look into what our local governments are up to. And this is actually happening, like I said, around the state. And since I am in southeastern North Carolina, one article that caught my attention uh, that, that dealt with lawsuits. Here in southeastern North Carolina, WECT reports that a woman who was pulled naked out of her bed and handcuffed in an embarrassing mix up by Wilmington police serving a warrant at the wrong address, also a New Hanover County school employee who felt she had been wrongfully terminated, and a man who was shot at a DWI checkpoint involving the New Hanover County Sheriff's Office, all of these people sued. And WECT is learning new details about how much of the alleged missteps of our local government agencies have cost taxpayers and what they have found over the last four years. These lawsuits, these little side things, these mess ups, these screw ups have cost taxpayers two million dollars. However, one big mess up dealing with the city of Wilmington's police department, where this man, Johnny Small, who spent decades in prison for murder to only have the conviction overturned because the case was bungled by the Wilmington police, meant that total had reached nine million. And like I said, this is happening all over the state. The News Observer has a far more uh, expansive uh, article on this. It's like 16 pages. I printed it out where it talks about all different parts of the state. Wilmington is one of those places mentioned. But a lot of money is basically what is happening here. And so, Kevin, my question for you, is it a good thing that they are settling these lawsuits out of court because it could cost us more money? Or are they settling these lawsuits out of court because they put gag orders and other things into these uh, uh, settlements to keep the people from knowing how much money we're losing in these lawsuit settlements?
0: I, I mean, yes and yes, maybe. <laughs> it's, I, I saw the barrage on News and Observer as well, and they've got them for Raleigh, Wake County, Durham yeah. County, I mean, all over the state. And um, it's monumental amounts of money that we are having to essentially spend for government screwing something up. And this is something that people never talk about. A lot of times, um, especially now in this modern populist society, like there's not even conservatives being limited government anymore. It's 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 government for me is really what each side is arguing. We want we want to spend money. We want a deficit spend. We want to have government intrusion in everyone's lives. It's just for my cause and not the other person's cause. And I think this is a great thing to kind of roll back to that fundamental understanding of how is government impacting our everyday life. And what happens when government goes off the rails and th- this is what you see, you've got tons of lawsuits where the government just totally screwed up somebody's life to the fact that they have to pay out millions of dollars in essentially retribution for how they have either wrongfully imprisoned someone, shot them, harmed them, uh, you know, affected their rights. It's, it's out of control. And you, you just don't hear people talk about this. So I thought this was great. I thought this was a great thing to bring up and to talk about how, um, not, not just from a, f- a fiscal perspective, because it is, it's, it's a lot of money and it's something that you should be paying attention to, but it's really that underlying thing of how have we gotten to a point where government is so powerful that people are winning massive lawsuits when they screw up and, and harm people. It's awful.
1: Well, and what's really weird to me is that, you know, like some of the stories, like, for example, the woman who was awakened from a slumber and was like naked and they like ripped her out of bed, like handcuffed her and like wouldn't let her put any clothes on or anything else like that. You're like, yeah, that woman should get some money. It was the wrong address. <laughs> like that woman should definitely get some money. But then like the guy that was shot, they said that he was like driving away from a DWI checkpoint. And so, like, I don't know what that means. Does that mean he was like, you know, they'd stopped him and he was like trying to take off? Does that mean he's trying to make one? Well, you know, U turn. He sees the checkpoint and like makes a U turn, and they shot him. I'm like, I want to know what that means because that might have been justified. Yeah, I mean, if they're like, "Hey, don't you know, don't move," and they have guns drawn, and the guy takes off. I mean, that I I don't know if the guy should have gotten a, a settlement for that. I mean, that's sort of the risky take when police tell you don't go anywhere and then you try and run away. And so, what I took away from it is that it seems like. In some cases, it was a human error. In other cases, it was they just wanted to keep it out of the headlines or, or they just didn't want to bother with it, so they settled. And some of them seem frivolous. Others seem absolutely warranted. But I want to know if we should have given those guys that left the DUWI checkpoint, you know, should they have been paid? Because maybe they shouldn't have. Maybe we should fight those to stop those frivolous lawsuits. But at the same time, there are some that do seem warranted, and that's what frustrates me is I don't know which is which.
0: Well, I think you have to assume at this point that if there was a case, they would have fought it. I mean, if there is clear video evidence that the police were completely in the right in doing something, they're not going to pay out to someone. There's probably a dash cam footage or something where the attorneys knew well enough to say, no, we need to go ahead and settle that. Let's not take this to court. And I mean, granted, sometimes that is a a you know a thin line of them saying we might win it, we might not, or it could be totally you know, clear, cut and dry, like, let's please do not bring this to court. Um, So are you saying we need a, we need a grading scale of egregious government actions? Like that was an, that was an F or an A.
1: Yeah. Well that, but also because, I mean, let's face it, the attorneys also look in and they calculate what the cost of a trial would be. I mean, isn't that how a settlement number is figured out? And so what if it turns out it's going to cost 25,000 to try the case and they go, okay, you know what? We'll settle the court for 15 and they go, okay, we'll do the 15. Well, maybe we should fight that because if we continue to pay out these fifteen thousand dollar settlements over and over and over again just to avoid the twenty five thousand dollars, maybe it'd be better to win and show people that we're willing to fight them to stop the frivolous suits. And so that's that's also what I want to know is you know, how are they calculating whether or not they take this to court or not? These are some of the questions I think that need to be answered. So you want more
0: government spending on attorneys.
1: <laughs> no, but I mean, what I'm saying is, is that, you know, it's moral hazard or it may not moral hazard, but I mean, to some extent it is. It's sort of like people say, oh, hey, look, if you sue the government and give them a low ball number uh, for the settlement, they might just do it to avoid even to take this thing to basic court and winning, you know, winning the preliminary hearing and and just that is going to cost money. And so you throw a small number at them, they might pay it. I think we shouldn't pay that because if we do that 10, 15 times to avoid a lawsuit, it might have been cheaper just to just to try one and then tell everyone, hey, we're not settling. And I mean, that's what, you know, private corporation sometimes have to do. Take someone to court and show everyone, hey, we're not just going to settle uh, for ransom. And so I just think I just want some more information on why exactly we chose to settle all of these suits.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, th- I think you've got a good point. I was I was just giving you a hard time, and I think part of it also goes to um, an over a, a larger discussion about what happens when people bring things up, and are they protected? Are they allowed to sue? Um, it kind of gets complex, especially when we talk about police departments and different government departments and whistleblowers. And right now, as the investigation into the Department of Environmental Quality continues so does the drama. See, Ray Cooper's administration apparently discouraged employees from talking to private investigators who were hired by the NCGA to investigate this pipeline slush fund that we talked a lot about last year. Although a DEQ spokeswoman recently did say, quote, no one at DEQ has told employees that they can't do what they think is right. Well, that makes me feel better. To up the stakes, though, the Senate is pushing a bill to add whistleblower protections to employees who provide, quote, statements or testimony to agents and employees of legislative panels designated to conduct inquiries on behalf of legislative panels. I think that might make some sort of sense. So, Tyler, as the battle of power wages on here in the state of North Carolina, who will ultimately win Is it going to be the governor
1: or the General Assembly? (laughs) Uh, I'll tell you, the one thing I love about North Carolina's power struggle right now is how much it mirrors what's happening in Washington. Like I used to joke during the campaign, you know this about how Roy Cooper and Donald Trump were essentially like the same candidate. They both are running on nostalgia. They're running, you know, even though they've been involved for a while. I mean, I know technically Trump wasn't a politician, but he had been involved in politics, writing books, talking about policy, whatever it may be. And so himself is sort of like this outsider who is going to go to Washington and change all these things. And bring, you know, us back to the glory days. And I said, Cooper should have run on make North Carolina great again. because That's what he was arguing, right? We're going to go back to the days of Jim Hunt, which was kind of funny because he ignored the the legacy of uh, Beverly Perdue and, and Mike Easley for some reason. It was kind of funny. No one ever asked him about that. But what's also funny is what's happening right now. So at the national level, we have these lawsuits with Trump and, you know, the ongoing investigations, I should say. And, you know, it's a witch hunt. There's nothing going on. You know, Trump has actually cooperated though. I should point that out. There hasn't been any real stopping other than he won't testify. And what's funny is the same thing's happening in this level where there's investigations by the general assembly. And if Cooper could say it was a witch hunt, you know, he can't say it because it would sound too much like Trump and you get mocked for it, but he basically wants to, he basically wants to go, Oh, this is a witch hunt. They're just coming after me. And, but it's just, it's so funny how what's happening nationally is also happening here in North Carolina, but just the roles are reversed: Democrat versus Republican. Uh, Republicans control the legislature, you know, with with uh, with the Democrat governor and vice versa at the national level. So I just find the parallels uh, quite ironic a lot of times. Well, thank you, Alanis. <laughs> no, it, it really is, and I think what's
0: interesting about this this struggle is that it really continues to be just a back and forth. It's someone in the executive area, whether it be, um, even not the executive area, but I mean, the big battle with the, the board of education, DPI, um, you've got the stuff through Cooper's administration and every time something happens, the general assembly kind of is able to move quickly and counter with some sort of legislation. And then now it ultimately goes to court and it looks like the Supreme court is going to be looking pretty bad (laughs) for the Republicans after this last election. So it will be interesting to see how it it plays out when you have this continued struggle and the General Assembly technically has the power. I mean, I don't think most of their legislation ends up being totally unconstitutional, but it kind of does at one point become an issue because now you're just legislating things as they happen. And I don't think that's really the intent of government either.
1: No, no. I mean, it's it's yeah. I mean, this. It's this battle. I mean, like I said, the same thing happening at the national level. Like how much of the General Assembly being uh, in, in you know should be doing? I mean, it's the the General Assembly is the legislative branch supposed to be legislating, and far too often what we see is the judicial branch making legislation, what's allowed, what's not allowed. And like I said, it's 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 troubling because what's happening is that the legislative branches, and I, that's not really the case in North Carolina, because they have no problem <laughs> making decisions. But that's the problem we have at the national level is that the general assembly, or I should say the, the Congress doesn't want to make decisions. So they try and push stuff off on the, either the executive branch or the judicial branch. And we haven't got to that point yet. However, it does seem like Cooper falls into that category where Cooper doesn't want to make a decision. You know, he never wants to get too firm on an issue because he's worried about where the polling might be. And so he'll try and pass things off to maybe the judicial branch and let them decide. So it's a problem a little differently, but yeah, it's a big issue here uh, in North Carolina where you have a governor who doesn't really want to take too firm of a stance on an issue until he's got the polling on it. And that's not a good position to be in.
0: Oh, it's, it's not a good position to be in at all. And I think it's funny how similar they are when you talk about how like HB two is still a national issue. Yeah. Right. (laughs) At at a certain point, things have got to move forward. I don't know if you saw, I don't think either one of us is talking about it this week, but just a brief note about how the ACC players from New York, I guess from Syracuse can't stay in the state of North Carolina due to the travel embargo. (laughs) So they're having to stay outside the state and get bussed in to either Greensboro for some kind of swim championship, I believe it is. And then there's questions about what's going to happen with the ACC tournament uh, this coming up week.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's weird because Cooper said he got rid of HB2, but I guess he didn't. (laughs) Cooper's like, I got rid of HB2. And yet they're arguing, no, actually, you really didn't. Which just goes to show you Democrats didn't actually care about HB2 because, yeah, the law is still what it is, and and Democrats are complaining about it. All right, but speaking of – Transgender issues, which is basically what HB2 was. Here is a story that could only happen in the year 2019. And I have no idea. Off the bat, I'm just going to let you know I have no idea what the solution is to this. So the ACLU of North Carolina has asked the state to transfer a transgender female inmate to a woman's prison, threatening a lawsuit if her safety and systematic humiliation are not addressed. In a March 5th letter to the Department of Public Safety, the civil rights group cites ongoing risk to Kanatika Zeri Brown's health while she is confined to Harnett Correction Institution in Lillington, where she sleeps, bathes, and dresses around men despite having had a male-to-female surgery. So their claiming is that her rights are being violated and she is a woman, she should be treated like a woman, and she should be in a woman's prison. They're arguing, though, that she's not that she's a guy. And despite having surgery, she actually did have the surgery. She, I think has had breast implants and I think she's had genital mutilation or not mutilation, (laughs) whatever it's called reassignment surgery, whatever that's called Um, where she is, you know, as whatever the surgery does, but she's still getting hormone treatment. And so she fully made the transition and see, this is the problem. This is the question I have for you, Kevin, is that, at what point do, does the prison system have to I mean, make this decision? I, I mean, I don't even care where you are on the issue. I know a lot of conservatives are going to be on one side. Liberals will be on the other. But how do you decide where somebody in the process is? Because there are some people that say just by me defining and a, considering myself a woman, that that would be enough for me to be transferred to a woman's prison. But then the women inmates probably wouldn't like a guy there who identifies as a, as a woman. So is surgery okay? Is surgery uh, gender—you know—gender reassignment surgery. At what point? I mean, th- all of these questions. How do you define and how do you decide when the person is woman enough to be transferred and when are they denied? That's my question for you, Kevin. Well, I think we should have the Klinger rule. He was never allowed to leave
0: Vietnam, and so no matter if you wear a dress or not, you're you're stuck. No, I don't think he had uh, surgery though. <laughs> no, he did. He didn't. No, and, and in all seriousness, listen. This is where I come in as a very practical pragmatic person is that there should be with this, this whole discussion is wide open at this point, right? The, the, the whatever has come off the, whatever the phrase might be right. Pandora's box has been opened of the whole gender question. So now there needs to be an actual tangible solution set of guidelines, what have you on This process, because as a as a society and as a species, we have spent thousands of years establishing science and reason and logic and explanations for things um, because we have rational thought. That being said, that's that's where this has to go from here, because, I mean, let's say you're all in. You get surgery. You're actually changing your body from a male body to a female body. You have punched that card permanently one direction then, yeah, it does make sense that then you would move over. You are now no longer a man whatsoever, move you over into the women's prison. But like you said, that's not really the conversation here because we see this in sports right now. We're seeing this um, in all walks of life. I mean, celebrities and and it's a very hot topic right now. And there is no definition of what constitutes a change. Is it, is it what you feel like is it what you identify as is it your physical characteristics there's there's no solution or answers for that right now um so i don't know what you do i mean personally i feel like that they went 100 the other direction so it kind of makes sense you'd go ahead and send them to a different prison but if he, they had not gone 100 would people still be clamoring to move them anyway and i well, think that's the problem
1: this to me is very similar to the abortion debate where you know Democrats love to be like, we're the party of science, we're the party of you know uh, of uh, facts and logic and everything else. Until you get to like abortion or gender, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, it's whatever the person feels. So if the mom's like, well, I don't consider this a baby, then it's not a baby. And if you ask them to define when is it a child, they they can't tell you because the minute that they define it, now anything after that they now can't have an abortion. So they just, it's up to the woman, whatever they want to decide, it's up to them. And transgender is the same thing is like, when is a person fully a woman? Well, if you say it's after you've had surgery and it's after you've done all this, now you can be transferred, which I think a lot of people would say, okay, yeah, we'll be open to that. But then if you're not at that point in the surgery, there are people who never get the uh, genital surgery. So the, the what, they're never a woman. They're never a man. And so, that is where the left finds itself in a big, big uh, – pr- or has a big, big problem because they will not play the science game on these issues because they know that doing so will alienate a lot of the supporters on that issue. So they just choose to be very ambiguous about how you define it. And it eventually is going to catch up with them because you can't be the party of science and then ignore science. It's just it, – it can't work no matter yeah, how much the press plays uh, defense for them.
0: Yeah, and I think the the big issue too is that you can't have a conversation about it either. I mean, we saw just a couple of weeks ago um, the famous uh, out uh, lesbian tennis player who said it wasn't okay for men to play in women's tennis got roasted by the the, uh, the LGBTQIA community. And so, how can we start to actually get answers when you're not even allowed to talk about it,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean it, it, she was yeah, she was kicked out of the LGBT you know, I guess group. I mean, it's like one of the most famous openly gay tennis players who opened so many doors because she goes, "No, I don't think that women should play against men." It's like, oh, that's it, you're done. You're gone. And I mean, eventually what's going to happen is is they're going to kick so many people out because only a few people actually believe the lack of science is a good thing, and you're going to end up with a very very super tiny Minority, and that's just not good. I mean, that's not going to be good for elections. It's not going to be good for the movement because you're going to have so few people that actually believe what they're saying. And that's like I said, not good. Yeah.
0: No, I I completely agree. And I actually have um to to, to, to totally transition into our last subject for today, I have a question for you, Tyler. All right. Have you have you ever heard the phrase everyone and their brother? Yes. I didn't know if that was purely a Southern thing, so I'd like to kind of bounce that off you and your northernness. Well,
1: my father is like, you know, born and bred Southern. So, I mean, he might've said it, but I've heard of other places too. Well, in the NC House District
0: 3 special election, everyone and their brother is running. On the Republican side, there are 17, yes, 17 candidates. There are three House members, two county commissioners, and a pediatrician and a pear tree. Six Democrats have also filed, along with two Libertarians and a Constitution Party candidate. With a total of 26 candidates in the race, who will win this is truly a toss-up right now. In fact, we should probably get a bookie involved. Tyler, since members of Congress pretty much become rich, is this really just a better idea than buying a lottery ticket?
1: (laughs) You said we should run? Is that what you're saying? We should try and get... Run, running run the 3rd District. Uh, I mean, it's anyone's guess. I, I think there's – I don't even know how they avoid a, a runoff. I mean, 17, 17 Republicans are running, and you have to get over 30%, and there's no big name. And there's no – I mean, the problem with the 3rd District, there's no major media market, and it's super big. And so unless someone is independently wealthy and they can throw down like a couple hundred thousand dollars in the primary – I don't know how you win this thing. I don't know how you get over 30%. And so I guess your goal would be to get into the runoff and then hopefully win the runoff. But man, it is going to be, it's, I'm going to be very fascinated to see which two are the top vote getters because I don't see that being anywhere near 30%.
0: Yeah, I kind of wanted to get your opinion on that. I mean, a few of the big names, if you'll call them that, are the current representatives. Obviously, they have name recognition in their own districts. You've got Greg Murphy, Phil Shepard and Michael Speciali. Then you have Michelle Nix, who has statewide recognition, but she's kind of been a polarizing figure over the last few years. Um, Then you have Francis DeLuca, the former uh, head of Civitas. So he's got some name recognition in, you know, kind of the base, I guess but that doesn't necessarily help in the, uh, in the appeal for the general.
1: I think this has been my projection. I think Michael Speciali makes it into the runoff because what they did was after they got everyone's name, they then flipped the coin to see if they would do alphabetical or reverse alphabetical reverse alphabetical one. So Michael Speciali's name is first on the ballot and his name looks like special. And so a lot of people are going to go vote, and they're going to go, I don't really know, but that guy's name is special. I bet he's special, so I'm going to vote for him. And so I think he's going to get in the runoff. Now, who is he in the runoff with? I do not know. But I do think that, yeah.
0: Your is, logic is like people who pick their March Madness brackets based on the school mascot.
1: I, I, I Listen, I have told people for the longest time, never – underestimate the power of a good name, especially in races where people do not know. I mean, obviously, you know, president Senate, maybe, but in some of these races where people just aren't paying attention and yeah, even Congress, they fall into that. I think having a good name is, I mean, remember, remember that guy in, in, in South Carolina, the Democrat that, uh, beat like all these Democrat candidates. And there was actually a conspiracy theory that he would been paid by the Republicans, uh, to go into the race to help Jim DeMint win because Jim DeMint was the incumbent. And this guy named Al Green, his name was Alvin Green. When he was on the ballot, as Al Green. And he beat like all of these South Carolina, like some were state reps. One person was like the majority leader. I mean, it was like crazy. And nobody could figure out how he did it. I mean, the guy spent his last $10,000 to file for this race. He was, I mean, for all reasoning we can figure out, slow mentally, and the guy won the primary. Why? Because his name was Al Green, and that was a Senate race. That was a U.S. Senate race in South Carolina. So, never underestimate the power of a good name. And Michael Speciali has a good name. Looks like Michael Special. I think. I think he's going to be in the runoff. You heard it here first
0: hey I'm glad that we heard it here first and I'm glad you brought up Alvin Green I totally forgot about him yes. I can still see him I can visualize him right now and his like uh, interview with The Daily Show or something I no, feel like he got one, a lot
1: of it was, attention it was, it was Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC and Lawrence O'Donnell's interviewing him and every I mean, it was to the point where like Lawrence O'Donnell was like defending Jim DeMint because of the arguments he was making, like he kept blaming the recession on Jim DeMint because it was like 2010 at the time. So he's blaming the, like, the collapse on Jim DeMint. And even O'Donnell was like, well, I don't know if you can blame Jim DeMint. For that. <laughs> for, like, and then that's all he would say. And at the point it got to the point where like Lawrence O'Donnell was like laughing because he's like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. But at the end of the interview, Lawrence O'Donnell goes, well, if I could vote for you, I'd, I'd, I'd vote for you in South Carolina. And that's when I realized that partisanship. Had reached a fever pitch, I guess, because I said, here's a guy who clearly thinks the person he's interviewing is a joke, and still would say he'd vote for him because he's a Democrat. Doesn't matter that he like can't mentally handle the job. He's a Democrat, so I'll back him. I said, Oh no. And it's gotten worse since then. But yeah, that was a crazy cra- <laughs> I think June Mitt won by like 50 points or something like that. <laughs> it was like the craziest race. That's that,
0: that. would be pretty impressive, and it's funny to think back on ten years ago and where
1: we are now with the media.
0: Who oh. would have thought that that wasn't biased at the time?
1: I know, I know. It's it's yeah. It's 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 crazy to think. I remember. I remember. Al Sharpton went down there because he was the one making allegations that this guy Al Green was a Democrat or a Republican plant. I mean, can you imagine? Like, so Al Green already feels bad because. No one likes the fact that he won. Then he got like, you know, the leader of the black movement coming down and telling this you know, black candidate that he thinks he's a plant by the other party because he's such a bad candidate. I'm surprised the guy didn't kill himself after that, but I don't know what happened to him. But that was just bizarre situation.
0: No, it really was. Maybe he uh, maybe he's just living off his famous name now. He is the new Al Green.
1: <laughs> he somehow is getting all the royalty checks from Al Green. He, he's People didn't realize the Al, other Al Green died, and so he keeps getting the royalty checks. He's like, I'm just going to keep milking this Al Green name for as long as I can.
0: It, it I, I strongly doubt that that is the case. I really <laughs> seriously doubt that that would even be remotely possible. But, you know, people who knows? People said that Stranger... about him winning
1: the Democrat primary, and look what happened, Kevin
0: stranger things have happened so i really think we need to work on getting some odds built for this uh for this race and really build uh maybe we need a bracket or something for people to fill out little district three march madness the sweet 16 who will make it through we'll kick one of them off yeah. we can only have 16 the 17th one doesn't count.
1: <laughs> yeah all right and then we could do it like based on whatever the the whoever got the highest vote total yeah we could do that definitely yeah, let's do it.
0: Let's do it. Well, that gives us something else to work on between all of the other things that we have to do. Um, so I think it's it's time we wrap it up and, and call it a week. What do you think?
1: I'm 100% on board with you.
0: Perfect. Well, let's keep the streak alive and do it again next week.
1: All right, man. I'll see you. See ya.